All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. Today, I'm speaking with Josh, who was a SpaceX lead life support systems engineer, CrossFit L2 trainer, senior engineer at Hyperloop One, and now founder and president of Levels a company sparking metabolic awareness in pursuit of metabolic fitness. I just love that line. I feel like I half understand it, so I probably love it Like <laughs> in, in that sense to make sure that I want to unpack that with you. Welcome to the show, partner. Thanks, Mark. I'm really, really glad to be on the show. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh you're on the show essentially because I was I was listening to uh, your interview with Kevin Rose, who's been part of this uh, this show actually in the written form before it was even a podcast. And I just really enjoyed the conversation and where you guys were going with everything, and and definitely want to dive in a little bit more specifically on the mental fitness practices and you know everything related to levels and and metabolic fitness and and how that all intertwines. But before we get into that. I've got to know about you and who you are. So who are you, Josh? Well, this is a, you know, it's definitely a tricky um, question to to answer succinctly, but, you know, I think to describe myself, I'm a person who is often trying to find balance between um, pulls that are kind of intention or at odds with each other. And, and kind of an example is I really dwell a lot on how much I love and hate an equal portion challenge and change. So I am mm. constantly pursuing challenges and I, I thrive on uncertainty and, and impossibility. And yet I also love rituals and routines and, um, finding my stride, so to speak. And so that's kind of an example, but it, it, it's the whole breadth of my life is I love people. I get a ton of energy from camaraderie and, and friendships. And, and yet I have my best moments when I'm alone in reflection or, uh, working on something challenging that I can really, you know, hit a flow state with. Um, I also have, you know, a ton of ambition and, um, you know, want to accomplish big things, but then I'm acutely aware of the shortness of life and the passage of time, which, um, often cautions me just to slow down and savor things rather than, you know, constantly focusing on the next phase or the next goal. Yeah. So, uh, that's me. I'm, I'm constantly walking that, <laughs> that balance beam between, um, these different big, big life questions. And I haven't quite nailed it, but I'm, I'm really enjoying the process of learning and getting to that point in my life, I think, where I have a lot of introspective time and, and am um, on a path that I really feel fulfilled with. I love it. That's, uh, I mean, there's some big, big themes and big topics in that response. I'd love to know, like, where, where's that coming from? Did you grow up with mentors and people around you instilling kind of this these thought processes or, or these principles mm -hmm. to life? Cause these are, you know, you probably mentioned three or four really big ones that some people never actually get to in the course of their life. Right. Or get to them in like massive, you know, uh, walls that they hit or, or so, so forth. So yeah. yeah, I'd love to unpack a little bit of, of that if you don't mind. Of course. Um, yeah, my, my parents, you know, I was uh, actually homeschooled from K through 12. And, um, so, okay. so my mom was, a high school teacher before she and my dad um, got married and she decided she wanted to homeschool and I'm from a large family. So I'm one of nine kids and um, growing up, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was great because my parents were very 
intimately involved in my life and my development process. And I, in some ways they influenced it in other ways, they challenged me to develop my own perspectives on things. And when I, um, when I got out of school and I went to the West coast and started working at SpaceX, I, I met a, a new, um, profile of person, which was really formative <laughs> to help fill in a lot of gaps that I, that I didn't have, um, growing up, just new perspectives. And, okay. and so I, I don't think that I hit this point where I was really thinking about the big, um, the big questions of life. I mean, certainly my parents guided me towards thinking, um, you know, about family and about what, what really matters, but some of the other things about, you know, ambition and, um, you know, the, in, the sort of extrovert introvert balance that really came through by meeting a few key people in my professional career who became very close friends and, and just getting into the, the world of deep conversation, um, with people mm. who I consider peers and mentors. And that's been super formative in, in my life. I love it. I love it. And what's, so let's back up a little bit. I mean, at one point, um, I mean, nine kids, that's like, you almost like there was a whole school going on in, in your house, yeah. essentially. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, All the grades. Yeah, exactly. Um, you, you know, what was the catalyst to, to go down the engineering route that I'm, I'm assuming brought you to a place like SpaceX? Well, the catalyst was it's hard for me to tell specifically. I know that I have a predisposition, just it's in my family to, to enjoy building things. Um, I've had sure. my great grandfather built buildings in Brooklyn and, um, my, my dad is a mechanical savant. Like he's just, a he's not an engineer by training, but he's phenomenal at, uh, construction. He, he was a home builder and, uh, then he moved into law enforcement. And so there was always building happening around me, but then also being in kind of the chaotic, um, day to day that, you know, a homeschool environment with, with say seven or eight kids simultaneously it can be, I was always finding my space by getting out and, and being outside and oftentimes building things, small projects. Um, and these eventually became cars and became, uh, you know, motorcycles and the projects got more complex and the machinery got okay. more complex. And I just became obsessed with machines. Um, it was, uh, my, my mind, I realized that I think I have a very geometric mind. I can think about shapes and about how things fit together, um, and, and how mechanisms function much easier than I can, uh, envision abstract concepts like mathematical concepts. And so even though engineering is oftentimes math, I, I chose to go down a, uh, a very sort of hands-on, um, specific focus, which is mechanical engineering. And it was never really a decision. It was sort of one, once it came time to apply to college, it was like, well, I, all I do in my spare time is <laughs> build things. Um, I love welding. <laughs> I love making metal into, a, you know, a, a concept that I just had floating in my mind. And so it was, it was a no brainer. I didn't think twice about what I was going to do. And I never had a second, a second thought about it when I was going through school. And, um, you know, it kind of, it's interesting reflecting back on it. You know, I can't think of any moment where I decided to go into engineering. It was just that was what I it was going flowed. to do. It's kind of, yeah, it just flowed right through. Interesting. And the, like the reflective elements of your life or what, you know, what you mentioned in the opening question that started to come in when you were in California, essentially meeting and you met some colleagues or that that's when those worlds started to interlap. Yeah. That, that's really where, um, you know, a lot of it I think has to do with age and maturity, but, um, yeah. at, at, you know, once I was, um, hitting my stride professionally and, um, 
just seeing all of the capacity that a, a place like SpaceX has, um, it's kind of hard to, to describe, but you just have all of these different people who are coming together and accomplishing unbelievable things very quickly. And so seeing that process happen and, and seeing individuals who are uh, really moving the needle, so to speak, uh, I, it, it really drew me to them to try to learn how to improve my own um, output. And oftentimes these people spent very little of their, um, of their time talking about work or talking about effectiveness at, at the desk, you know, it was, they were thinking about much bigger concepts. They were thinking about how to be, a, how to have mental models that work effectively, whether at work or in life. And that was a new thing to me, you know, rather than having a very focused problem solving mindset, it was more so about how do you think about thinking or, or how do you think about problem solving? And so that, that meta nature of the the conversations I was having with people who are much smarter and much more capable than I, um, is what started influencing me to, to start focusing on improving there and, and training myself. I may not have the, the same hardware, but I can certainly learn from, from these people that I have a once in a lifetime opportunity or a very rare opportunity to, um, be close to and to watch in action. And so I, I really embraced that and did everything I could to spend, um, <laughs> as much time as possible with the people who I connected with personally, who I also looked up to professionally. Sure. It reminds me of, uh, as you were saying that, because I, I can only imagine, I mean, it must be such an enriching environment. I mean, I've, uh, yeah, I've never interviewed anyone from, from SpaceX or who has worked there. So uh, I've always wanted to ask that question to see kind of how it felt and feel like you described that. But it, it made me think of, uh, I was interviewing Naveed and Jane at one point uh, earlier in the year, Mm -hmm. And he was talking about just solving, you know, billion dollar or no, sorry, not billion dollar, billion person challenges. And his biggest point that he left, um, whether that's uh, with, you know, Viome or uh, his, his space program and, and all of that, it was like, uh -huh. if you can dream up the idea and, and, and visualize that and like kind of what you're, you're discussing, like think of these higher level concepts, then the people's the people will follow you. Like the people will, mm. it's not a matter of, cause I asked him like, well, okay. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've gotten that far with your idea. You've asked the right questions. You've uncovered the root of the problem. Now you need people to come on the journey with you. And, and that was his point was that if you can deliver that with conviction and people are on board, you attract the best in the world to come and solve right. the problem. Cause it's big in nature. Right. Which it seems exactly. like was your environment. That's exactly right. You know, there's a quote and I'm going to butcher it probably, but it's something like, if you want to build the best boats, teach people to long for the sea. Um, mm. Something along the lines of um, inspiration is what drives people, not um, not the the task at hand, I think is what, what it's kind of talking about. But zooming out and providing scope and providing context for, for one's uh, you know mission, so to speak, is really how it works. And, and there, that was very much present at SpaceX. The um, It was not about building you know, vehicles or turning metal into parts and, and assembling them. It was about the next big leap for humanity into a multi-planetary species. And that, that really is the, the pervasive concept at, at SpaceX is that what we're doing here is, uh, is going to be an evolutionary leap for the future of our species and, and for, um, hopefully providing a backup option for preserving consciousness, um, which as far as we know only exists here on earth. And so there is no backup option today. And if SpaceX succeeds in its 
in this mission, there could be, um, you know, an insurance policy, so to speak. Wow. And that's, that really demonstrates, I think exactly what, what you were just talking about, which is that, um, you know, really driven, capable people want to work on impossibly big ideas. They, they don't, they love solving problems and will always find challenge, but you'll attract the best people and, and, and also, um, you'll receive the best output of their efforts if they feel fully aligned with the out, the outcome. And I think it really has to be a huge vision. Um, that's, that's at least my experience. Yeah. I love it. I'm just, I mean, you can't see me, but I'm, I'm smiling here. You've got my mind spinning just this, uh, these concepts. So I imagine then, and, and we can back up to, you know, how you went from there to, uh, you had a couple, I think two other positions after, before starting, uh, levels, but I imagine a lot of that environment and way of thinking and kind of leadership or, um, you know, the confidence and, and, you know, what, what you would want in a team. I I imagine that's translating over to your work now. Definitely. Yeah. It's, (laughs) or um, or you could say, no, it's not, but (laughs) nope, it sucks. (laughs) It's not the same for sure. It's a, you know, (laughs) but it it definitely is the, the way that we're approaching uh, our work here at levels is, you know, our goal is to reverse the trends of metabolic dysfunction globally. And, and that's a very large problem. And it's almost impossible to quantify how bad metabolic, the metabolic health epidemic is around the world. Um, and many, many people think it's impossible to, to change, but you know, the way we're approaching this is that, um, is with an inspirational, I think approach, which is to, to individualize access to one's own health information and make it easy for the individual to know how to improve each day. And then you do that, multiply that by many, many people and you have social scale change and improvement. And, um, so yeah, very different, I think, well, in some sense, it's different than, than SpaceX, but at the same time, you know, for human flourishing to happen and for, for the next phase or, or, you know, leap for humanity to, to happen, I think we need to create a society where people are healthy and effective and performing at their best and feeling good. And, uh, you know, chronic illness in this country and, and globally is, um, it's a massive, uh, block to, to that sort of thriving, um, both financially and personally, you know, people do not function at their best when they're dealing with energetic breakdown. So, um, yeah, yeah, I really hope to bring some of that SpaceX philosophy to, to life. And honestly, the team that we're putting together and the, the, what we've, what we've done so far, I think is really, um, it's, it's amazing to be a part of. It's been, um, an equally enjoyable ride to SpaceX. Well, I mean, my hat's off to you and the team because (sighs) You know, at one point there was there was like a select percentage, I'd say, of the population that you could probably consider them biohackers or people that are really dialed into health and you know trying everything, like like essentially like a Kevin Rose, right, or Tim Ferriss and and, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but if there's one thing, you know, one benefit that has actually come out of this wild pandemic and COVID is just, I think, a wake up on how bad in general our health is right and like yep i don't think anyone needs any proof at this point that we're not healthy right like and Mm -hmm. it's if we could and there are steps we can take obviously to 
to help and levels is, is obviously one of those solutions, right? To start getting to a point of least being aware. I mean, I talk about this all the time on the mental fitness side of things. Like you can't, if you're not aware of what's happening in your mind or you're aware of the thoughts that you're thinking or the emotions that are potentially on autopilot, I mean, you can't make the change, right? You have to be first aware. And I feel like it's no different uh, with our body, right? So why don't we just, just in case people don't know what levels is, we should probably give a little description. Yeah. Um, so I'll start off by, by just quickly describing what metabolism is. Cause I, I mentioned that just a minute ago, but, uh, sure. So metabolism is the set of processes in our bodies that produce energy from our food and environment. So basically taking the the molecules in our food and um, their environmental factors like sunlight and turning them into energy production for all the tissues in our bodies. And so um, levels exist to answer the question of what should I eat and why? And right now that question can't be answered individually because, uh, or certainly not without a PhD, for example, in nutrition or cell biology. And the problem is that people are currently faced with a tremendous amount of uncertainty and contradiction in the literature, um, on the internet. They don't know what to do to improve their health. And so they end up making decisions that are unguided by inf- by data. And uh, so they're, f- they're flying blind eff- effectively. And what Levels is doing is we're taking real-time blood biomarkers, uh, in this case, sugar, glucose, which is circulating in our blood all the time and, and is uh, it is broken down from our food and used to power our cells. And we're providing real-time data on the levels of glucose in the blood. And so this allows people to measure and respond or understand how their body is responding to the actions they're taking each day. And these actually go beyond nutrition. So the big four pillars of, uh, of metabolic sort of control are diet, exercise, sleep, and stress. And so uh, with the technology that Levels is producing, people can see how their bodies are responding to the meals they're eating, the quality of their sleep and the duration of their sleep, the exercise and timing of the activities that they have throughout their day, and then the quality of their mental control, uh, in in this case, mindfulness, stress management. And all of these things stack up and create context. And, And that context is the metabolic control that our bodies are experiencing. And without this information, we see the effects. And so globally, we have uh, diabetes and heart disease and Alzheimer's disease and cancer increasing at increasing rates. And all of these, uh, you know, the CDC here in the U S describes as chronic illnesses, most of which are avoidable. You know, cancer is the one Hmm. that I think has some other underlying factors, but the others, um, are, are driven by lifestyle choices that compound over years and decades. And so without this feedback loop, people are, it's not that they want to be unhealthy. It's just that they don't know which choices are working in opposition to their goals and levels. Well, there's an acceptance. That's right. right. Yeah. I think there's an, I mean, I think uh, there's a whole generation and, you know, there's a lot of my, my own family members uh, in this boat that, and I I don't, this is not holding judgment. This is just their race like this. It's like, oh, well, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to have high blood pressure the rest of my life. Like this is just, I'm getting older. Right. Yes. (laughs) And and I'm glad you mentioned that because that, that right there is, a pervasive concept that metabolic health is binary. I'm either healthy or I'm not. And the reality is that we're on a spectrum and this is metabolic fitness, which is, uh, each day 
you are going to do a series of actions. You're going to take lifestyle decisions and through focus, effort, and repetition, you can improve your metabolic health, your metabolic fitness, just the same as you can improve your physical fitness by going to the gym or your mental fitness by practicing a meditation uh, or mindfulness practice. And so um, this concept applies equally. And it's just that people don't have a feedback loop for metabolism, which is why they don't know that it's possible to have an influence. It really feels like um, out of out of your control. And so uh, that's, you know, by having objective data and closing that feedback loop on the order of minutes, people can now understand that everything I do influences the responses my, or the reactions my body experiences. And this is actually quite straightforward to, to understand and, and improve each day. Hey, just wanted to thank you for being here. And if you're enjoying the show, drop us some lovely stars wherever you're listening. They really make a huge difference. Also, after requests from you, I've put together some mental fitness training packages in collaboration with Thrive Medicine. I'll work directly with you to help implement and personalize practices and routines to ensure your mind is thriving. Shoot me a message directly or check out the link in the show notes. Thank you as always and back to the show. I love it. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially you backed into this this company or this idea from your own personal experience of, I think it was around the SpaceX or Hyperloop time of just not knowing why you were so depleted in energy. Is, is that correct? Or is that one of the aspects? Yeah, that's exactly right. This, you know, I, I do not have a background uh, as we covered in, in metabolism or uh, medicine or human physiology. Um, what happened is that I was, I was working on a very stressful program at SpaceX and, um, I came to the realization that even though I didn't necessarily look unhealthy, um, I, I am a CrossFit trainer. I, I, you know, I've always valued physical fitness and uh, I've considered it to be the best approximation of overall health. Uh, I, I got to the point where I was essentially unable to perform every day. And that was both mm. personally in my relationships with people I care about and, and professionally, I was struggling mentally and physically with waves of fatigue and generally feeling this malaise that, um, I had never experienced in my life. And I, I honestly, I told some people in my close friend group that I think I have a terminal illness. Like this is bad enough that I oftentimes want to just escape under my desk and sleep the day away because I, I physically feel like I can't drag myself into the next meeting or into the next, uh, project. And so, Scary. um, yeah, it was a very strange realization. It was a, it was a juxtaposition because I, I didn't have, you know, the, the markers of, of poor health, right. I had, um, yeah. you know, good, good body fat percentage, you know, decent amount of muscle mass. I was able to hit the gym and, and perform well in workouts, but th it was in that moment, that sort of separation of how I look versus how I feel that I started to understand, okay, there's more to this than just physical fitness. Something else is underneath the hood. So I started to read about metabolism specifically because that is, you know, I was having these energy issues and metabolism is the, the energy production system. And so I was reading about this and, and learned about glucose and learned about fat oxidation, which is, you know, the other molecule that we can get most of our energy from. And I found that there's this finger prick technology that you can, that you can get, which is typically used for the management of diabetes. Uh, and you can measure your, your blood sugar levels. So I got one of these and I started kind of obsessively pricking my finger and treating it, you know, kind of like a science experiment, just 
<laughs> plotting everything in Microsoft Excel. And I was pricking my finger something like 60 day, or sixty times a day. Um, but it, it didn't really, I, I didn't know enough to understand what I was seeing. And um, yeah. so this, this, this is taking, the engineer coming out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, training it very much as a project. Um, and it took, it took months and months for me to uh, kind of develop an understanding of, of what was going on. And I read a book called Wired to Eat by Rob Wolf. And in this book, he describes a newer technology called continuous glucose monitoring, which also was developed for diabetes management. And this tech, you wear it full time and it streams your blood sugar levels right to your phone. And I was like, oh, that's great. I don't, you know, my fingers are black and blue. Um, I need that. So, so I asked my doctor uh, for a prescription because they are medical devices. And, and he said, no, you know, you're one of the healthiest people I see. Uh, this is for sick people and um, you, you don't need this. And that, that moment, like it kind of redoubled my desire to get access to this because it just felt like, well, this is my body's information. And I, even though I may not need it, it's, isn't it still my own data that, you know, I can learn something from, or at least, um, perhaps I can use it in the future. Uh, so I did eventually get a CGM, but at this time I had left SpaceX and I was kind of working on a, a new project. It was a, a different startup that I had been working on at that time. And I got this device and within two weeks, I found out that I was either pre-diabetic or borderline pre-diabetic, depending on who you ask. And that was, wow. uh, due to the continuous nature of the data. So I could see my body's response to everything I did. And after most of my meals, my blood sugar was remaining in the super elevated uh, pre-diabetic or above zone for several hours. And then it would come, come crashing down in these waves. And during those crashes, I would feel that shakiness, that fatigue, the cold sweat, the, the mood changes, all of the, the symptomatic experience that I had been struggling with for years now. And it became crystal clear this is caused by my actions. And I then was able to use the same data to modify my behaviors and smooth out those metabolic roller coasters. And, um, and that process just completely changed my approach to daily living. And I started to value sleep and I started to value mindfulness and stress control because I could see the effects. And, uh, through that like renovation of my life, I, I realized this is something more people need. And, and the sooner we can get it to them and the, the more context we can provide along with the raw data, the easier it will be for people to make fast and consistent behavior change. I am so glad that you didn't, you know, quit at the point where your doctor was like, no, you don't need that because it's like, to me, that example just proves the the point on, you know, how much correction needs to be made and just in, in the healthcare system in general. I mean, I, I remember I used to have these conversations used to drive me nuts with my dad because he'd be, he, like just imagine it, like a stereotypical North American eating the the standard diet, so not not healthy, diabetic, mm-hmm. the whole the whole nine yards. So it was always this constant battle of, okay, you know, you've, we've got to get you healthy, like, and somehow convince him to to be motivated to do that. And then someone would be featured on the news or in the newspaper, marathon or dies, or you know, mm-hmm. like uh, super. On the outside, super athletic person dies of heart attack or something. It's like, mm-hmm. see, why would I? Right. <laughs> why would I put myself through all of that? I'm just they're they're just dropping like flies. Yeah. And it just used to drive me nuts. But it's I think you proved the point, right? Like from the outside, it doesn't necessarily mean the inside mm-hmm. is healthy, right? We need the full picture. And right. um, yeah, so I'm so thankful that you're that you continued that journey. Yeah, me too. And, you know, one of the interesting things and and something that I've since learned a lot more about and and look forward to learning even more about is 
the way that human beings, so we are, we're chemistry sets. Like that's what the human body is. It's, um, we're a bunch Mm -hmm. of chemicals that are released in response to other chemicals and that's how we function. And so you can imagine if you think about the mental model of, of that, you know, it's like a, a bunch of literal, uh, you know, chemical compounds that are, you know, our bodies are sensing which chemicals are in what proportions and then releasing other ones to try to manage, um, you know, how we use those, those existing ones. And so the way that hum- each individual human being responds to the chemical environment in, in their body is unique. And so uh, in my example, I did not have the classic signs of prediabetes. I wasn't overweight. Um, my Although my blood pressure was actually at the time somewhat hypertensive, it wasn't in the warning area. And my blood sugar levels had not gotten to the point where they were throwing a red flag for my doctor. Um, and so when I walk in and I have decent muscle mass, you know, I look athletic, the, the concept that we have in society is that this person is not, they're not diabetic, nor are they at risk. Now, what I was experiencing was a massive downstream effect that was hidden from the sort of the standard assumptions, which are, I was experiencing the cognitive effects of glucose dysregulation. I was experiencing the fatigue of an instability in my energy production systems. And this is, you know, we now have a large enough data set that we can start to see that individuals manifest metabolic dysfunction in different ways. Some people gain weight very quickly, but they might be feel very sharp and they might feel energized because they don't have this completely out of control glucose roller coaster. Well, others are like me where it's very spiky spikes and crashes all day long, which is affecting the hormones downstream of glucose. And they're experiencing all of the negative effects there. And so each person has these different struggles and we call all of these different symptom sets, different things. For example, we talk about hanger all the time, you know, hanger is a thing. It's like, you're, you're so hungry and you're angry. Um, we talk about cognitive decline we talk about Alzheimer's disease, which is now being called type three diabetes. We talk about heart disease and cardiovascular disease, which are the, the number one and two complications of glucose dysregulation. Uh, we talk about PCOS and sexual dysfunction, which are uh, the leading causes of infertility, PCOS being the leading cause of infertility in the developing world. All of these yeah. things have metabolic dysfunction underpinnings. They're closely tied to glucose dysregulation and to poor chronic lifestyle choices. And so we kind of there, there's this massive spectrum of problems that we're all dealing with day to day, just trying to get through our quality of life experience. And although we haven't yet defined a, a single node that we can that we can change to improve for everyone, we do know that since it's an individual outcome, you can also change the inputs for the individual. It's just that that person needs to know the connection between their lifestyle choices and these effects they're experiencing. And so closing that loop with data, I think is a really elegant way to empower that individual. Oh, for sure. And then the next, I mean, I think the next big piece in the puzzle is to have have some sort of solution, which I mean, obviously you guys are working on this, that is able to, you know, make some sense of the data, right? Or mm-hmm. that is able to include the other factors as well, right? The, on top of your, you know, your glucose monitoring, but like, I don't know, if you're, if you're, meditating or journaling or doing all these other activities and, and logging this somewhere. I mean, we've got apps obviously out there in the, in the ecosystem capturing mindful minutes and things like that. And then your, your exercise, it's like at one point, like we need like some central database with all this stuff. Right. I feel yeah. like there's just so much, right. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, you know, like, like I said, there are those four big levers and, um, 
you know, a prime example of, of the, the way that data can, real-time data can change your perception, or at least for someone like me, you know, I, I've always been somewhat skeptical about the easy hacks, things like, uh, you know, take, take little walks throughout the day. And, um, you know, I've always thought, no, that's not going to do anything for you. You need to like go to the gym and you need to put on your gym clothes and you need to throw weights around for 90 minutes and be completely depleted and dead at the end of it for it to really count as exercise or be valuable to you. Mm -hmm. But with the real-time data that glucose tracking can provide, I've seen the way that my body and many other people's bodies respond to a very indulgent sugary meal with and without exercise. So for example, like just eating a meal and being uh, kind of stationary on the couch or at your desk versus eating that exact same meal and walking around for 20 or 30 minutes and getting a little sunshine and moving your body. And the difference is profound. So because you're wow. using your muscles in real time while your body is digesting that meal, uh, the glucose response or the, the rapidness of the, of the blood sugar spike into your blood is it's very diminished because your muscles are consuming glucose in real time. And so that damping effect is really powerful. And so all of those downstream effects can be for the most part controlled with just a little bit more movement, for example. And, um, so seeing this information, it really demonstrates the, the individual can make these micro optimizations. And, and that was just one example, but there are many and you can get receipts on them and you can then understand the power that you have to just tune very small moments throughout your life and the net effect, the compounding effect of that over years will be a, a very different outcome. And um, specific to, you know, what you were saying about all the different data sources, you know, what we're doing at Levels is trying to ensure that every piece of data that we present or that we pull into the ecosystem is actionable. So we, we don't just want this to turn into a data stream that is overwhelming and that, you know, again, now you have to interpret all of the in, you know, the multivariable processes going on, it's, we, we just want to, to bias towards limited cognitive overload and, um, and actionable data. So sleep data, simple activity data, glucose data, these, these three things can really give you a very deep and, and, uh, you know, high resolution image of, um, what three of the four levers of, of, um, metabolic control, the fourth one being stress, which is a bit harder to, to measure directly, but you can understand it through maybe heart rate or just subjective feelings. And so we're, we're yeah. trying to keep like the amount of data minimal, but also you know, ensuring that, um, we do have capture sufficient, uh, resolution. So people can know which one they you know, which of these levers to pull on and in, in what amount. Yeah, it's so it's so important. I mean, just the the actionable advice, or I think the other thing behind that is just the hope that is behind that, right? It gives people hope that okay, yeah, I can make some changes. And to your point about you know the basics, right? I mean, it's it's been coming up. Uh, I mean, you met some of the guys over at Thrive Medicine. It's been coming up in our work. It came up in the last episode with uh, Apollo, like back to the basics, right? We don't need to make this super complicated. We have all mm -hmm. this incredible technology and these solutions to give us the information, which is fantastic. Yeah. But to your point, like take a walk, right? Like, you know, 15, 20 minutes just moving around. At least it's a starting point and we can all do that. I think that's, I think that's the big part, right? Like, yeah, it, it, it eliminates the potential for excuses to come up that like, I don't have time to do all, all of these different things, but these small little tweaks. And then when you see the results real time, mm -hmm. I mean, that's a whole other level, right? So yeah, exactly. it's, it's amazing stuff. I'm excited to see where, 
where this whole space goes. I feel like just, <clears throat> excuse me, personalized, personalized health in general is, is really the way of the future. And yeah. uh, there's some great people working on yourself included. So it's, it's exciting. Yeah. You know, I, I think that in the future we will be treating health data much more like we treat financial data. So, um, yeah, you know, rather than walking in to the doctor's office and, and getting, you know, a blood panel done and two weeks later you get some numbers and all the decisions made are contingent on those recent numbers. You know, you can have in your phone, in your pocket, um, all of your data going back years and projecting into the future modeled on uh, a personalized algorithm that detects how you personally respond to specific lifestyle choices. And, you know, you can share that with an expert that you trust and, uh, you know, again, project that years into the future. And for many of us who, who take our, you know, retirement planning seriously, or, uh, you know, are, are planning for that, that financial future, this is the way that I think we will one day be confident that we're going to be there to enjoy that, that financial future, so to speak. You know, right now we're, we're really using data in every aspect of our lives, except in our health and wellness. And I, I so do not true. think this is going away um, anytime soon. People are going to embrace the, the personalized, just the freedom of, of understanding and feeling confident about decisions that you're making each day. Yeah, totally. Well, just to, I mean, it's not really a pivot, but just in relation to those decisions you're making every day, I mean, I'd love to know specifically to, uh, with you, like just some of the mental fitness practices that you have found that have been the most impactful for yourself. And, and the caveat being, and I share this all the time, this isn't to say, this isn't a prescription, and especially since we're talking about personalized health in general. The idea with this is someone on the other line, and myself included, frankly, oh, I never thought of that, or I could try that in this, this routine, and then we can, we can test it on ourselves. So I'd love to understand, mm. you know, what's, what are some of the non-negotiables these days in, in your life when it comes to your, your mental fitness, or how do you keep your mind clear when running yeah. a team like this? And, you know, kind of carving a path in a essentially a brand new market or space. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm learning and uh, it, it's a constant process for me. But this whole experience of understanding that I had metabolic dysfunction, and I was heading in a, in a, you know, a dangerous direction each day without knowing it. It has opened up my mind to a lot of um, lifestyle techniques that I otherwise may not have considered. And, um, the mindfulness piece and the mental fitness piece is one of the main areas of focus for me. Um, you know, there, so there, there is a very strong link between dementia and cognitive decline and, um, metabolic dysregulation and, and it runs in my family. And so this is, this is a specific area of interest for me is to maintain metabolic fitness well into the future, or I'm sorry, mental fitness well into the future. And that is closely linked with the metabolic fitness piece. And, and so, um, you know, for me, the accountability of maintaining my lifestyle choices daily is, is the biggest one. So I, I understand this link. I know, um, you know, there, there's strong research showing that, um, both acute cognitive function. So like memory tests are directly related to, uh, insulin resistance, which is the hormone that responds to glucose and glucose dysregulation. So, um, <laughs> people who are the slowest to clear blood sugar spikes out of their blood, uh, perform the worst on assessments like word, word list recall or paragraph recall. Um, so very simple tasks that we all deal with every single day. So those, those memory tests are associated with how well we metabolize our food. 
And so uh, I, I commit to um, holding myself accountable on dietary decisions, nutrition choices every day as uh, a technique to maintain uh, mental sharpness. And another thing is the benefits of physical exercise for me. Um, this one for me is almost entirely personality driven. It's, uh, I, I think that I am a better person when I am consistently exercising my body and I, I, I still, yeah, I, I don't understand it super well. Um, I, I don't know what it is. It's, it's some sort of, uh, probably some sort of hormonal, um, mechanism, but I just, it transforms me when I am consistent and even in a single day, you know, I can be absolutely unwilling to, to go and put in a quick workout, but if I can somehow just go through the motions and get it done, my entire day and in the, in the following day are better for it. And the people around me <laughs> appreciate me more because I, I was able to do it. So that one, I think in the personality component, it's just, it doesn't matter if it's, um, you know, a, a really intense workout or just simple movement for 20 or 30 minutes. I just have to, that's a non-negotiable for me. Um, yeah. I'm and, the and then, exact same. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And, and like, if it's a couple days go by where, you know, like you said, even light exercise, I, I immediately feel it. I just feel like, like mentally like garbage physically, I don't feel good. And it's just a quick walk outside and, or, mm -hmm. or for me, spinning is a big one, uh, sure. like a spin class and doing it at home now, but that's, that's always one that gets me going. And then breath work. I don't know if you're exploring with that, but yes. I feel like breath work is like instant. So breath work is, is stunning to me because I, I've only like literally in the past two or three months started, um, experimenting with that. And it's profound. Like, I mean, there's a physical component to it where, um, a few minutes of focused breathing can, can completely change like my heart rate and bring my blood pressure down, like all of these mechanisms. And so I, I've also seen, I think it's a direct stress management technique. And, um, yeah. I've actually seen this in blood sugar response. So, um, stress, so cortisol can, it basically is a hormone. It's called a glucocorticoid that elevates blood sugar. Um, it's like a fight or flight okay. response to make sure you have energy. And, um, and so if your cortisol levels are high, if you're feeling stressed out, your blood sugar can be elevated. You don't want to be in that situation and breath work. Um, I think directly affects cortisol release and can bring glucose down. And, and so I think this is something I, I really want to study deeply, um, beyond just me in the anecdotal sense, but, uh, I, sure. I think, breath and, um, the practice of it is, is a powerful tool that I, I unfortunately don't know a ton about, but I'm, I'm definitely experimenting with right now. The Wim Hof method, for example, is, is what I'm currently trying out. So I was going to ask you. Yeah. yeah. When he's doing, he's, he's been diving pretty deep on the science of this. I, I know yeah. that was, it's been what, maybe two, maybe more than that, three, four years since he's really kind of exploded in the public eye. And I, I, I like his, he's obviously a character for anyone that's, yeah. uh, you know, followed him and, and seen him go. So that's fun, but he's always going back to the science of it, right? Like his little, right. the experiments he's done on himself and like group of, group of guys when they were, what they were injected with, uh, like a flu of some sort. And we're like, they, they were basically their, able to, their symptoms. yeah, they fought off all the symptoms and stuff like that. So I, and I know he's doing a lot more now mm -hmm. so it'd be i'm really curious to see um what's next you guys should link up with mr wim hoff that'd be fun yeah i would love to um yeah that's a powerful one uh i think the the last piece in, in terms of like mental fitness or, or 
in, in my much of mental fitness in, in my opinion is like maintaining clarity of thought and um trying yeah. to reduce the the clutter and the noise and um maintaining perspective i think is the is a huge factor here and one of the most important things for me in terms of perspective is uh really expanding uh, or or creating a frame of reference for myself and when things are feeling uh, overwhelming or you know i've you, you just find yourself maybe like in a hole and you're feeling like it's an uphill battle and maybe a little bit hopeless and i think we all kind of go through these these moments for me one of the most amazing ways to reestablish that perspective is nature and getting uh, yeah. out under a huge open sky and seeing stars and just realizing our, your place in time and space and um that is so centering for me and it, it completely it's similar to, to physical exercise in the way that it uh, is transformative for me. You know, just a simple, um, quiet 10, 15 minute period laying there and looking up at the sky is, is enough to um, get me sort of snapped out of those, uh, those moments where things feel out of my hands. And um, that, that's something that I really uh, have, have leaned even further into in, in recent years where um I've spent a lot of time in cities and I just, I, I find that I, although I love them for many reasons, I lose perspective quickly because everything is so uh, walled in and it feels very yeah. um, claustrophobic mentally. So that, that perspective framing is, is just really important for me. I think stillness is the underrated practice of the time right now. And more and people are more and more people are discovering it myself included thanks to people like Ryan Holiday that, that write quite a bit about mm -hmm. this and bring in the, the Stoics and how the, you know, again, this is not new stuff, right? But we're finding ways to, in, to include in our routines and our rituals now, but it's, it's amazing. I, I'm always amazed at what comes up when, when in nature and when still, I mean, we just moved from Toronto, uh, which is the busiest city in, in Canada. And we're two hours North of that and in nature now. And I mean, just, you know, the ideas that come up when you can quiet your mind and let your mind actually do its thing and, and make right. the connections, um, is, is, it's, it's unimaginable almost. Right. So. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. It's great. Do you, do you have last question for you? Cause I, I'd love to know if you have any, uh, whether you journal pen to paper or, I mean, you definitely reflect, uh, we, we've already, uh, establish that, but do you have any prompts that circulate in your life to help with that reflection, uh, either a frequent basis or, you know, when making big, de uh, life decisions? Yeah. Um, I really like this one. So I don't, something I have to improve, I think in my reflection is reflecting on the positive, um, or, or, uh, I think <laughs> yeah, being <you're> more, human. <laughs> yeah, just being more intentional about understanding my frame of mind going into positive moments. I, I actually think, I think Matthew McConaughey was, was just on Tim Ferriss and he was talking about something very similar, but yeah, but he does it very well. Like he focuses on where was I mentally and how was I performing when I was at my peak? Um, yeah. and he uses that for recall when he's not at his peak. And, and so I, I think what I do is, uh, I certainly tend to bias towards, uh, negative change or, um, uncertainty. And, but I, I will share those, those kind of big questions that I like to use to prompt myself during reflections on, sure. um, on those, you know, bigger, scarier times. And, and so like one of the most important for me is, is just asking myself, what's the worst likely outcome. 
and and just you know being able to uh quantify that or or verbalize it you know what is the worst likely outcome of of this whatever this idea or this fear is that i have or this change that's coming and then following on that what is in my control so there is only so much that i can do um, certain things are just entirely it is impossible for me to affect them at all and so it's important to then zoom in on you you know there are a series of choices that you can make and um, which of these are you facing today and and then just by by i think chunking the problem into which pieces of this are in my control it helps me again reestablish my frame of reference and kind of ignore those pieces that are entirely out of my hands and i can just focus on being effective on the choices i I do have to make and then the last one especially when things are feeling particularly um you know uncertain i just ask myself will this matter in five years and that's good that one's always like you know that that one always for me works super well (laughs) it's just yeah good point you know this is probably i'll probably forget about this in two weeks it's super uncomfortable in this moment and i i am you know i'm struggling but five years from now, I won't remember this moment. And in most of the time, that's the case. So again, that, that is most, most of this for me is about finding that frame of reference and making sure that my perspective is, is adjusted because we can just, I think, get so sucked into the acute feelings that we're going through in the moment. And we lose track of, again, time and space. And, um, most of the things that matter in life are going to, are going to be okay. And, um, you know, you just, oftentimes have to remind yourself of that, I think. Oh, totally. I mean, I, um, I, I love these prompts and I love the sequence of the prompts too. They're, they, they make sense. And like you said, they're, I think you come out of it with a really great grounding on perspective of, of a situation. So I appreciate, appreciate you sharing them. And, um, on Matthew McConaughey's, uh, the side of things, I, I heard that interview as well. And I'm reading his book now because of it. And it's, oh, great. It, it's, it's, it's causing me, I think, I think just naturally autopilot wise, I mean, many people aren't doing any reflection period. Um, and then, you know, people who are, uh, it, it's easier to obviously help process some of the negative things going on and whatnot. And then I think to your point, like the next step then is, oh, well, wait a second, don't forget about the good things and kind of dissecting mm-hmm. those. So, you know, I think wherever, wherever people are at on the journey, I mean, we're all just trying, we're trying to do our best. And I think this is, this is what I love about these conversations and, um, and the ones that you just referenced from Tim as well. It just gives, again, it gives a different perspective sh- shift, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah, you know what? We can, we can think of these other things as well. So totally. amazing. Well, Josh, I mean, I want to respect your time. This, um, this was super fun. I could speak to you for hours. I want to thank you for making some time to speak. And above all, you know, thank you for dedicating your time day in and day out with, with your awesome team to, you know, push a pretty big mission forward for the, the health of an entire uh, population, essentially. So I'm, I'm here definitely in Canada if you're rooting you uh, rooting mm-hmm. along on the sidelines and as much as I can in, in a direct way. So thank you for all of your effort. Well, thank you, Mark, for having me on. I, I really uh, appreciate the um, intentionality of, of this show. And uh, I love listening to your other episodes. I'm really happy to be able to be a part of it. And uh, yeah, thanks for walking me through this conversation. It, it, it's love to do it again sometime. Mm-hmm.